What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's Tuesday, January 14th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Did you weather the pandemic storm and stick with your employer over the last couple of years? Well, you could be underpaid. The hot job market and the great resignation has led to a lot of movement and forced employers to lure new candidates with bigger paychecks. Aki Ito, senior correspondent at Business Insider, joins us for how the salaries of new hires are on average 7% higher than existing workers. Next, you're booking a flight and want to pick a preferred seat. You click through and see an extra fee. In some cases, it can be as high as $100, but it doesn't come with any extra legroom or early boarding. So what are you paying for? In most cases, it just helps you avoid the middle seat. But for airlines, it's the second biggest source of revenue. Don Gilbertson, carry-on columnist at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for what these fees are and how to find those free seats. Finally, get ready to see more robots in your daily life. We see them all over the place right now delivering food or cleaning your floors, but the ongoing labor shortage is fueling a demand for more robot workers. They could have a bigger presence in restaurants and are poised to make a big difference in caring for the elderly. Jennifer Kingston, chief correspondent at Axios Media, joins us for the summer of robots. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. You would think that, you know, kind of in a perfect world, it would be the opposite. The veteran employees would get paid a little bit more because they've already proven themselves, because they already know their organizations well. You know, they should be rewarded for their loyalty. But what's happening right now in this current economy is the exact opposite. Joining us now is Aki Ito, senior correspondent at Business Insider. Thanks for joining us, Aki. Thanks for having me on. Well, here's an interesting question. You wrote up an article about how much could you be paying for your loyalty at work? There's been a lot of moving parts throughout the great resignation. We've been hearing a lot of the stories, people leaving their current jobs for something better, uh, hopefully higher paying or with a better work-life balance. You know, a lot of people really want to do that work from home thing. But we also heard stories about how much power the employee had. You know, employers were, uh, you know, desperate for workers and they were doing everything they could, you know, offering a lot of benefits and perks, offering a lot higher salaries. And so this question comes up now, now that the dust has settled a little bit now, you know, what happens to the people that stayed at their jobs throughout all of this compared to the people that were moving all these jobs? And we're seeing in a couple places that you know, the newer employees are being hired in with a higher salary, leaving the people that stayed at the job kind of falling behind. So, Aki, tell us a little bit more about it and what we're seeing with this. 
Over the past year, the job market has just been so incredibly hot that employers have had to just throw these huge salaries at new candidates just to get them to come work for them. And that's distorted, you know, the salaries across organizations because these new hires are getting paid so much more than what uh, existing employees are getting paid. You would think that, you know, kind of in a perfect world, it would be the opposite. The veteran employees would get paid a little bit more because they've already proven themselves, because they already know their organizations well. You know, they should be rewarded for their loyalty. But what's happening right now in this current economy is the exact opposite. They do have some estimates on how much some of these new hires are making. There's a compensation data provider, they're called Labor IQ. They estimate that salaries for new hires are 7% higher on average than the median pay for people that have stuck around in some of these jobs and some of these industries. That's a big pay disparity. It is. And that's across the entire economy, across all occupations. When you look at some of the really in-demand jobs in tech or in finance, these gaps can be much larger. For example, uh, one job we looked at in the story was the job of IT managers. The gap between new hires and existing employees in that occupation is 20%. So, you know, that's a difference of tens of thousands of dollars in some of these jobs, which means that, you know, if you haven't switched jobs in the Great Resignation, you're probably leaving a lot of money on the table. In one part, uh, they call it salary compression. This is when the gap starts to narrow on this. Uh, But it can move all the way to a salary inversion where the new hires are making more money than the veteran workers. The broad term that uh, compensation professionals use is salary compression, which is a little bit confusing in this context because we're talking about a gap that's opening up, a gap that's becoming bigger and bigger. But kind of when you go back to what we talked about before, what you think should happen in an ideal economy veteran employees should get paid more than the new hires. When that gap starts to get smaller, you call that traditionally salary compression. And in a really extreme scenario, like what we're seeing right now, where the new hires are getting paid more than existing employees, that's called salary inversion. Well, you know, one of the things obviously that we saw without the, or throughout the great resignation and all the, you know, insinu- <laughs> ensuing stuff that was happening in the job markets is this greater push, this kind of movement for pay transparency. You know, there was this uh, great story about someone leaving their job. She, she went on Twitter and said, hey, if anybody's applying for my job, just know that this is how much I got paid. You should ask for more and for whatever perk. And, you know, it blew up at that point. But this is what's happening right now. People talk. People are getting the hint of who's making what and how much. And for the employer, uh, I like the way you wrote it up, too. I mean, there's a very, a very simple option. You just pay everybody more. But it's also an expensive thing. And that's tough for a lot of businesses to do. I mean, the pay transparency thing is huge because, I mean, it's not just people randomly posting their salaries on Twitter. It's also, you know, some governments are starting to force employers to post pay ranges in the job openings. These job openings are public to everybody, including to the people in companies that already have that job. So, you know, you could just look at that job opening and be like, hey, this range is, you know, above what I'm getting paid. That gives the employee, you know, some leverage to negotiate for higher pay. And so when disparities exist, but you have that kind of transparency, employers are forced to close that gap. So so this move towards greater pay transparency is really huge. 
And for some of the companies that are noticing this, they're seeing it right. They are making some changes. Uh, PayScale, which deals with you know compensation data, right? They provide some of that data to their employees and everything like that. They're raising wages on some things. Microsoft is a big company that took a look at this and said, "Hey, we need to adjust how much we're paying people." So they're increasing salaries for uh, you know high higher performers. A lot of other companies are maybe giving some bonuses or something just so that those existing employees, those people that stayed with them aren't getting disgruntled, you know, aren't feeling like they've just been left out in the lurch. Yeah, I mean, for the last year, the big focus really has been on, you know, trying to find new workers, right? It's been on talent acquisition. And I really think increasingly the conversation is going to move to talent retention about keeping existing employees. You know, raising everybody's pay is expensive, but perhaps it's less expensive than losing your most talented employees and, you know, having to spend the next six months trying to look for somebody who you can hire, who you're going to have to pay a big salary because they're a new hire anyway. Aki Ito, Senior Correspondent at Business Insider. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. If you like being in the front of the plane and budget is not an issue and there's no aisle seats or window seats in the back of the plane, then, you know, check the price and pay it. But really pay attention to the seat map and and see what's available there. Joining us now is Don Gilbertson, carry on columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Don. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's talk about some of these pesky airline seat fees and what exactly (laughs) they do. As more people are getting out there and starting to fly a lot more, you know, some of these uh, fees could be a shock to others. Sometimes people know about them already. But, you know, this one in particular, when you reserve a seat, sometimes there's a fee associated with it. There's all sorts of classifications for these seats as well. You know, preferred seat, uh, you know, economy plus different things like that. And there's fees associated with whatever you're picking. So this story has to do a lot with these preferred seats on a flight. And when you're picking them, I mean, they have a range of prices, but they can be up to $100 in some cases, and they're not giving you extra legroom, nothing like that. It's really just to have that seat right there. Maybe you get off the plane a little earlier, but Don, tell us about these uh, fees that we're looking at. I mean, the preferred seats are the ones I think that are the most confusing for people because they're under the impression that maybe it's an upgrade. In fact, some of the airlines in the checkout thing will say upgrade. And there's really not an upgrade. It is it is a standard legroom seat and they're monetizing the regular seats on the plane now. So people just need to be aware. You're not always going to have to pay one, of course, because if, especially if you book your tickets in advance, you know, you scroll down that seat map and you'll see some free seats for the taking. But this becomes a problem on really busy flights. It really becomes a problem when you change flights and or you book last minute, you know, because there, there's just fewer seats available and the ones that are available have a little price tag on it. This is now the second biggest source of a la carte revenue for these airlines. And they don't really divulge how much they're making. You mentioned in the article there's a hint. Southwest Airlines does talk about some options they have for people to board early. And they're making a ton of money just on that. Yeah, and that's probably why they don't want to talk about it. You know, it's not required by the Department of Transportation. And, you know, these didn't start out as, you know, the prices for these seat fees, these preferred seats did not start out at these levels. And now, just like airfares, they're dynamic. So it's all supply and demand. And, you know, they clearly have plenty of people paying these fees, you know, to be able to put that on the seat map, you know, like the example that I cite of $105 one way from Atlanta to LAX, 
for a regular old aisle seat. By the way, there's there's also occasionally seat fees for middle seats, preferred middle seats, like towards the front of the plane. So really what travelers need to do is just pay attention. You know, if you do, I mean, if you like being in the front of the plane and budget is not an issue and there's no aisle seats or window seats in the back of the plane, then, you know, check the price and pay it. But really pay attention to the seat map and, and see what's available there. If you're going to go with some of these free seats, you don't have to pay. As you mentioned, you can find these out, but it's a lot of times it's going to be the middle seat. It's going to be something in the back. Um, so you just got to really uh, take a look at all that. And also, you don't have to pick a seat. Do you know what I'm saying? Like airlines of all stripes, whether it's a budget airline or the, you know, the biggies, they all try to basically scare you into reserving a seat. You know, they send these ominous pop-ups that say, oh, if you don't save a seat, you might not sit together. And while that certainly could be true on a really full flight, and there'll be a lot of full flights this summer, you know, they still owe you a seat on that plane because you bought the ticket. So sometimes, you know, if you, if you hit skip seat selection, especially if you're just traveling by yourself or maybe in a pair, you might be totally fine with whatever they assign you. I, I like the way that you uh, threw in a little personal story in the article about a Mother's Day flight that you took. And you ended up getting a middle seat. That's what they assigned you. But they did offer to upgrade you, as you mentioned, no, not any more legroom or anything else, but to a preferred seat. But it was $135. It was a one-way ticket, and I had used miles for it. And I would not pay these in general myself personally. You know, a lot of frequent flyers, if you have a status, you get them for free. But so in this particular case, last minute, and they're like, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll give you an aisle or you get your pick of seats for this price. And I was like, no way. And in my case, I just lucked out. It wasn't anything nice that Delta did. It was the fact that, that when I got to my aisle, the passengers, the other two passengers in the row wanted to sit together. And they're like, would you mind if you know, you had the aisle and I was like, would I mind? You just made my mother's day. So I bought him drinks. <laughs> but as I mentioned, you know, this is the second biggest uh, source of revenue for them behind the baggage fees. So this is something that's going to be here to last and something that you really got to check out every time you're booking things. I mean, that's how they're getting you now is all these uh, uh, compounding fees on, on the flights. And so it really makes it difficult to just kind of be a bare bones flyer. You don't not have to pay for a seat on anybody. You really don't. You know, it really comes down to if it's a case where you're going to be uncomfortable in a middle seat, especially on longer flights, then you may have to pay extra, especially, you know, if you book last minute. But also, you know, you can still compare airlines. You know what I mean? When you're shopping now, you don't just compare the ticket prices. You know, look at airlines, not all of them. I mean, you know, the $100 example I use, I mean, that's not every flight or every airline. I mean, I interviewed a woman who paid $27. But again, $27, you know, you have a family, that, that, that's one way. That's a lot of money. So people just need to do the math and just shop a little more carefully. Don Gilbertson, carry-on columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, 
Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And it uh, goes to sports stadiums and malls, and uh, it's, there's no human operator. You just lift the lid, put in your credit card, and take out whatever you like, whether that's a snack or uh, tickets to a game or something. There are all kinds of strange places that robots are popping up. Joining us now is Jennifer Kingston, chief correspondent at Axios Media. Thanks for joining us, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about the summer of robots. We're starting to encounter a lot more robots in our daily lives. Everything from delivering food, uh, uh, robot bartenders, <laughs> robots that can mow lawns. It's kind of a glimpse of what's to come. It's uh, very quickly becoming an episode of uh, Black Mirror or Love, Death, and Robots, as uh, people have seen out there. But uh, there's a lot of practical applications for these things, too. So, Jennifer, what are we seeing out there? We're all accustomed to seeing the Roomba vacuums trundling around our apartments or robots that can uh, mow the lawn or, or clean the swimming pool. And now we're, we're noticing them on, on city streets, driving themselves along to bring groceries to your home or in uh, unusual places. There's a new robot called the Tortoise, which is, calls itself the first vending machine on wheels, and it goes to sports stadiums and malls, and there's no human operator. You just lift the lid, put in your credit card, and take out whatever you like, whether that's a snack or uh, tickets to a game or something. There are all kinds of strange places that robots are popping up. Now, there are some that are subject to question. Uh, These little robot dogs that we've seen, I think Boston Dynamics are the ones that make these usually. They've been used in a bunch of fun ways, uh, you know, tennis ball caddies and whatnot. But they've also been used by the New York Police Department. I think Massachusetts State Police and Honolulu PD also use these. But there have been a couple of complaints about the use of these. I think the New York one, they call it the Digi Dog. The DigiDog, right. Now, these robot dogs from Boston Dynamics have shown up in all kinds of places, and a lot of them are kind of fun or benign. I mean, robot dogs are being used as pets. And as you say, at the, at the Madrid Open, the tennis tournament, a robot dog strolled out onto the court carrying tennis balls for the players. <laughs> uh, so those are the amusing applications that uh, make us chuckle. Uh, yeah. Where things get a little bit messier is when law enforcement uses dogs like these, which are 
basically robots, although they have this cute anthropomorphic form, to go in places where it's too dangerous for officers to go or to conduct surveillance in people's homes where there are civil liberties implications, and that's where the public outcry has come. As well, there are, is a proposal to use these these dogs on the uh, U.S.-Mexico border for immigration enforcement, and that, of course, is uh, uh, raising concerns about people's safety, welfare, and right. uh, privacy as well. Uh, there's a company that had make, makes this robot. It's a pizza-making robot that can make 50 pizzas in an hour. Now, that's uh, uh, really efficient and something that uh, you know a lot of places could probably really use, especially as, as I mentioned, younger people don't want to be going for some of these jobs anymore. Right. Absolutely. I've heard robot manufacturers like the one that makes the pizzaola say, boy, we've heard from uh, restaurant operators who, you know, a few years ago wouldn't have ever considered having a robot server or a robot prep cook. And now they're uh, dying for them because there's, it's such a, a difficult time to find anybody who can staff those positions. Uh, at the same time, the robotics, the artificial intelligence is getting better. The cost of, the, of uh, manufacturing these robots is coming down. So you're seeing all kinds of uh, incredible robot automation in restaurants, machines that can flip burgers or manage fry stations, make sure that the coffee is all brewed and percolated uh, to the right degree. That's going to be a huge uh, area of continued breakthrough in kitchens, both professional kitchens and and our home kitchens. Right now, the robot pizza maker can stretch dough and put on your desired toppings. You can go to an app and choose from among 35 toppings and four different types of dough. Pick up your pizza, you know, half an hour later. Then the same kind of uh, devices are going to come down in price so that we'll have our own home robot vegetable shopper. It's an exciting time. And that's the thing, right? As it comes down in cost, it's available to many more people people. And then finally, just, you know, looking toward the future, you know, a lot of experts are saying robots are poised to make a big difference when it comes to caring for the elderly, being able to clean for them, even companionship. Uh, You know, we're looking at uh, voice assistants like Siri and Alexa becoming more sophisticated, having conversations with people. Uh, You know, this is what we're looking toward as the future comes. Yeah, yeah. The good news is that robots can in some ways take the, the place of human home home health aides where they can take your blood pressure, help prepare meals, alert 911 if somebody falls down. Then uh, there is the companionship aspect where they can alleviate loneliness. But again, ethical issues come up. Is that really how we want as a society to live? There'll be a lot more exploration of these issues as this trend continues. Jennifer Kingson, Chief Correspondent at Axios Media. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Oscar. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.